So we've been in the book of Luke this entire year so far. We'll be in the book of Luke and Acts, right, uh, this year. So uh, now we're in a season that we're talking about the kingdom of God and looking at what the kingdom of God is like. And so today we'll be in Luke uh, chapter 16, looking at verses 1 through 13. So you could turn to that in your Bible, on your phone. Uh, if you don't have either of those, there's a Bible should be pretty close in front of you uh, in the pew. And then as you're turning, you can put a thumb in uh, Matthew 25, because we're also going to go to Matthew 25 this morning. But we're starting out in Luke 16. If you got that, say amen, somebody. Okay. Oh, there's a few of y'all still turning, but I'm, I'm going to get started, because you know i got to watch my time. I can tear it. Here we go. Uh, verse 1 says this. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was, was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, uh, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And, and the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may uh, receive me into their houses. So summoning the master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful for this day, grateful for this opportunity to freely worship you. And Lord, we desire to hear from you today. Lord, would you, would you show us what life in the kingdom looks like and the implications that it has in our lives? Lord, we need you today. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so real quick, just to give you a little bit of uh, insider knowledge of how this normally works as we prepare to teach each Sunday. So we have a teaching team, and, and uh, so the, the order of who's teaching is already determined well in advance. So we know the order. What we don't have planned for the entire year so much is necessarily what exactly we're going to teach. And so, so as a team, we come up and look at Luke, and we're praying about what would the Lord have to say to the people, and we, we put scriptures up, we pray about them, we're just trying to discern what this is all going to be like. And then once we figure 
figure out what we're going to preach on. We just place it in the order that is already predetermined. And somehow today, I got blessed with the honor on preaching the most confusing parable in the, in the whole Gospels. Uh, you read this thing like, man, what the heck is going on here? I mean, I mean, look at verse 8, right? I mean, verse 8 says, uh, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Why would you commend the guy that just ripped you off and has been mismanaging your money, then the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation and the sons of the light. I'm like, I mean, seriously, come on. That first reading of this parable, very confusing, but, um, but I believe by faith that the Lord has something to say to us that he will reveal and it will all be made plain. So let's jump in, uh, starting with verse 1. So 16 verse 1 says this. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him. Um, that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. And so you have this guy, he's a very rich guy because he, he has the ability to hire someone uh, to manage his accounts and his affairs uh, so he can be far away. So the, so that the owner, the master, he's not even really in the picture. He's entrusting everything to this manager. And so word gets back to him, though, that this manager is, is squandering his money. He's squandering his possessions. And so he approaches this manager and is like, uh, listen, um, what is this I hear about you messing with my money? And then the manager is like, yo, I'm going to keep it a buck with you, right? That's what the young people say. I'm going to keep it 100. I'm going to keep it real. Yep, I'm guilty as charged. Uh, and essentially the, the master is like, okay, so then you're fired. I'm going to give you some time to, to, to make an account for how you've managed things. And then, and then you, are, you are gone. And so then the reality, the reality of what's going to happen hits the manager. He he understands that, oh, man, like, I am losing employment. I'm losing my job, my ability to provide uh, an income. I'm losing my home because I stayed at the master's property, right? My, 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 my reputation, excuse me, is in jeopardy. My future is in jeopardy. What am I going to do to secure my future? And I, I love what he says. He, he begins to consider his options. He's like, well, uh, I, I, I can't, I'm not strong enough to dig, um, I kind of get that manual labor is not my thing either. Real quick story. One time I was doing some home improvement, uh, some, some odd jobs, and this man handed me a sledgehammer. We were doing something, trying to finish the basement, and he, he expected me to break the concrete with the sledgehammer. Uh, it didn't go so well. I started I start swinging it to no avail. And then the next day I woke up and I had a blister the size of the palm of my hand. I said, Lord, this is not what you have for me. And I went in the next day. I said, I quit. Um, this is not, I will not be doing this. Um, so I feel him when he says that I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm not tough enough for manual labor myself. My skin too soft. It just don't work. Then he said, and I'm ashamed to beg, right? So he was like, man, I have, I have limited options, right? And you, you have to put yourself in this man's position as you, as you think about the distress that he's under as literally he's losing the ability to provide for him and his family. So we go on to verse 4. It says, I have decided what to do, right? So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you want my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down 
quickly and write 50. Then he said to the other, another, how much uh, do you owe? He's, he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the manager is slashing the debt of the debtors, the people that owe money to this master. And, and just so you understand the significance and, and how much he's saving these people, you look at 100 measures of oil. That's about uh, the amount of oil that will be pressed out of 150 olive trees. So that comes out to be two to three years salary for the average worker at the time. And he said, yo, I'm going to cut that in half. Significant savings. And then he says, there's another guy that owes 100 measures of, of wheat, which, which 100 measures of wheat is, is the amount of wheat that will be grown on 100, 100 acres of land. And that would be 10-year salary of the average worker. And so, so, but he didn't cut it by half, but he cut it by 20. He's like, all right, so now you owe 80. So that's still a significant amount of money. So he's slashing prices. And so normally if this happens, it happens because that the people, the debtors, are facing some kind of hardship. There's some kind of disaster. There's some kind of, of famine. And, and a master would say, okay, um, in light of the situation, let me reduce the debt. But that is not a thing here. This is all a part of the manager's plan. And verse, verse 8 says this. Um, verse 8 says this. And then it says, the master, though, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. This is the part that doesn't make sense. This man is squandering your possessions. He's, not only does he do that, he, he's also cutting the debt of the people that owe you money. So why would you commend him? This is another aspect that just doesn't make sense in this, in this parable. But, it, but it's like this. It's like two people that, that, are at, that are at odds with one another, right? Each one working against the other. But sometimes in that, one of them may do something that's so clever, that's so ingenious that, that the other has to acknowledge the brilliance of what the other person just did, right? So, for example, um, not sure how many of you guys are following the NBA playoffs that are happening right now. Some of you may not even know that's a thing. So, in case you're just not hearing this, there is the NBA playoffs that's happening right now. Um, and so, uh, man, LeBron James and the Lakers got bounced out. Um, by the Nuggets, right? So LeBron James, who you are, he's a four-time champion, the second best player in the history of the of the NBA. And uh, 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 see, uh, see, we got some folks. I didn't know if anybody was going to bite on that there. Um, MJ's the best. Um, I was just saying, I won't, I'll digress, but let me get back to the text. But MJ is the best. Anyway, you have LeBron who got bounced by the Nuggets, and he's in a post-game interview after game four. And it's like, man, listen, they got, they got length. They got depth. They're well coached, and and Nikola Jokic, right? Their their star center. Like even when you you think you're you're guarding him, he pulls up and hits a 50 foot jumper. Like what else can I do at that point? And he literally like tipped his hat and said, "Hats off to him, right?" So it's LeBron James game recognized game, right? He's acknowledging the brilliance of what he experienced in his opponent, the the Denver Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets, even though they were at odds, even though. Uh, the Denver Nuggets uh, resulted in LeBron James not getting another championship as he is trying to catch Michael Jordan. He's still tipping the cap to what he experienced in the Denver Nuggets. So that's what happens here. This man is hatching a diabolical plan. 
he's cutting the debts. Well, when he cuts the debts of all these debtors in a system that, that where honor is, is highly valued, then, then they will be really appreciative of his generosity that, that he extended to them in cutting the debt. So much so that like, like if someone does that for you in this society, then it would have to be reciprocated. So he knows that as a result of doing this, once he leaves his job, he knows that he'll be able to go to any number of these debtors that he slashed their debt and be able to come to them for a place to stay. He will be able to come to them for a job because for him not to do that would, would damage their honor within a, a society that valued that so much. So he's working the system. And then you have the owner that like upon hearing about all these debts being slashed, I know if it were me, I'm like, uh-uh, cancel that. You know, no, you, you still owe 100 measures of oil. You, you still owe me 100 measures of wheat. But, but if he did that, though, because right now he's very favorable in the community. Oh, man, look how generous he is. And so he now can't go back and set the debts to what they were originally because it was damaged his representation. The honor that he received now would then be forfeited. So he's stuck. And so that's why the manager is like, okay, I see what you did there. Like, touche. I see what you did. And so that's why he's commending him for his shrewdness. He's acknowledging the brilliance of the plan that he hatched. And so then continuing on, the second part of verse 8 says this, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of the light. So this is a, a rabbinic approach to, to reasoning, right? The, the lesser to the greater, right? Um, Tiffany just did this in her prayer. She said, if, if God is concerned for the lilies, how much more would he be concerned, right? That's a rabbinic uh, approach to, to reasoning. And so that's what we have here. People of this age, people that are not a part of the kingdom of God, these are people that, that are not believers, but, yet, but these are the people that, that act to secure their future, um, and they use very clever and, inge- and ingenious ways um, to do it. And they use their resources, whether honest or dishonest, to secure for themselves the best future possible, even though this future is temporary. And so here's the lesson. If they go to great lengths, if, if these people, if children of this age go to such great lengths to secure a future that won't last, so then how much more should we as children of the light work to secure a future that will last forever? And so you have this man in this, in this parable. I don't know what's happening in the future. I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know what obstacles or what storms face me. But this man, he had a gift. He, he knew what was going to happen to him because the owner told him his fate. But he said, I'm going to give you a couple weeks to go account for what you did to my stuff. And then you'll be out. So he has some time to, to come to terms with this reality. And, and once again, put yourself in these shoes. He's desperate. All of a sudden, he'll have no means to provide for himself and his family, and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And so he begins to live in a way that's in light of his ultimate reality of him losing out on managing this man's possessions. And he's like, man, what am I going to do? I have to do all that I can then to secure a place for my family to stay. I have to do all that I can to, to get some money in my pocket so that I can 
put clothes on our family, and that there can be food on the table. And so he begins to plan for his reality. He begins to plan, although the plan is, is shady, he still makes a plan and he, and he works the plan, right? I would imagine that, that he's probably losing sleep as he tries to do this and execute everything that he has set out. And I would imagine that this owner had a lot of different debtors because he had a lot of money. And so I think about even now, like if I were to try to set up one-on-one appointments with a, a lot of people in this day and age, it would even still be challenging. You got voicemails and people not answering and all these kinds of things. And so I can only imagine what it would be for him to get face-to-face meetings with, with all these people, with no technology, with no, with no phone. I can't imagine the stress of having to do that. Maybe some folks came to him. Maybe he would have to travel. There's no cars. There's no, but he did it. He went through all the debtors as a part of his plan, just so that he could secure a future that's temporary. And so what Jesus is saying here is that, man, I wish that my children, I wish that my children would live in this way. Too many of my children are living out of touch with reality. They live as though there would not be a day where they will have to give an account for the things that I have entrusted them with. He says, if, if they remembered, if my children remembered how this ends, they would live life radically differently, radically different. And so listen, just as a, as a way of confession, I'm going to just tell you right now, there have been times when I have been out of touch with reality. I just remember me, I was a good kid for the most part when I was in school. Um, I'm thinking about an elementary school around 10 years old. I was a good kid, but, but I, I'm, I'm a jokester. I clown. I'm a little silly. And so there was one, there was one day in class, I'll never forget it. So I'm just, I'm just doing my thing, being silly. I'm getting laughs, feeling good about myself, right? And, but the teacher was kind of telling me to let her chill, calm it down. I'm trying to teach this lesson. And I didn't listen. The laughs was gratifying me too much, and so I just kept being silly, kept doing my thing, joking. And then um, the teacher was like, okay, I'm going to call your father. And then that, 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 that smile turned into a frown real quick. And then not only that, this was some tears began to stream down my face, and I began to plead, no, don't call my daddy. Because he had a rule, a teacher better not call me. There's going to be some problems, some repercussions. Because my daddy's crazy, see? And so, so I knew, like, please don't call my father. Because I knew my father had an expectation for me. Boy, you represent the David's name when you leave this house. But I had no teacher calling me. And so I knew there was going to be problems, right? Because there was the fear associated with, with my father. And so then how foolish of it would it be for me then to continue to go to school day in, day out, and for me to act like, uh, like, I ain't got no sense showing my tail, knowing good and well if my father found out, there'd be problems. There's also another way that I'm out of touch with reality sometimes. Uh, man, I, I can tend to, to drive a little fast, right? Drive a little fast down the highway. Um, man, until uh, a, a few times, would have, which have happened, when the police get behind me, and then, and then when you see those lights behind you, right? I don't know about you, but for me... My chest starts to beat. I begin like, oh, my gosh, because I'm coming face to face with the authority that's supposed to uphold the traffic laws. 
and they have an ability to, to charge me with a fine that's dependent upon how fast I was going over the speed limit. And so when those lights and those sirens, they come and I straighten up real quick, I get nervous, my, my palms get sweaty because of the authority that's associated with the police. And then I also found out that it has ramifications in that also when, when your insurance company finds out you have a moving violation, they're going to increase your insurance. And so then I'm looking at paying $100 more each month for my insurance because of a speeding ticket. So guess what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to, when I drive, I'm going to drive in light of the fact that the popo is on the street trying to give me a ticket. How foolish of it would be for me to continue to drive down uh, uh, I-90 at 95 miles an hour knowing that the police are there. They can give me a ticket, which could uh, result in me having increased insurance expenses. How foolish of it would, would it be for me to, to live outside of that reality like that's not a thing? Because when, that, when, when the reality happens, it catches up with you, you're faced with the consequences. So what Jesus is saying here is, Listen, if you knew what it would be like for you to stand in front of the God of the universe, you would live differently. You think the police have authority. You think that you are going to fear your father. How about you when you're facing the one that has all authority? How about when you face the one that parted the Red Sea? How about the one who, whose glory is so magnificent you can't even bear to stand in his shadow? Moses had to turn his back just to be in the shadow of the Lord because of the magnitude of his glory. If you knew what it would be like to stand before the God of the universe, you would live differently. Because he was saying, you think I've given you all these things for you to squander and spend on yourself? You think I've given you all these things for you not to consider what I think that's important? I, the one that made you, I, the one you're going to be in eternity with? This is what it's like to be in the kingdom. You will be held to account. And if you knew what that day was going to be like, then you would live radically different. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here in this parable. So then what does it look like? How then should we live life differently? Well, in the next three verses, there's a word that's used four times that I think explains and highlights um, God's standard and his expectations for us. So let's look at Luke 16, verses 10 through 12. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So the word that, that keeps highlighted, that keeps getting, getting pointed out in these, four verse, these three verses, excuse me, is this word faithful. Faithfulness is the standard. So here's what we learned from these verses. God expects us to be faithful with what we have been entrusted with. So faithfulness is really important. So I want to illustrate this for you. There's a parable in Matthew chapter 25 that makes this plain. It makes it clear. You can say a lot of things about faithfulness and, you know, commitment and, and being consistent and being trustworthy, right? But I think there's something deeper at the level of faithfulness that we need to get to that this parable makes plain for us today. So Matthew 25, 
I'm going to read verses 14 through 28. It says this, For it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, and to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two, more ta- two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and set up accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He, uh, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should, receive, I should have received what was my own with interest. And so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. So you have this man entrusted these servants with these talents. The first two did what they're supposed to do. Gave one five talents, got five more back. Ten total. That's dope. Gave one two, got two more back. Oh, man, I'm making 100% profit. This is going amazing. And then he gets to this last one, and he's disappointed. He's disappointed, right? We see it in the text in verse 26. And he says, you wicked and slothful servant. It says, then you, you ought to have invested my money with the banker's at my coming, I should have received what was mine own with interest. So what he's saying is, uh, there's more that you could have done. Right? With all the time that I've been gone, you, you could have went to greater lengths in order to, to grow what I had given you. I mean, the least you could do is put the money in the bank into a savings account and get 3%. I still want my 3%. There still could have been more that you could have done. And so because he did not do the more that he could have, he was, he was unfaithful. So what we see here is that faithfulness has attached to it a level of effort, right? So faithfulness is this. One that is faithful is one who has done all that they can to honor a commitment to an individual or to a task, right? So faithfulness is God's standard. So, so we get that, right? So faithfulness doing all that we can, right? But to what end, right? How do we then direct our efforts as we do all we can? We found the answer to that in verse 9. It says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. 
So it talks about unrighteous wealth. It talks about, uh, um, man, the, the best way to translate that is untrue wealth. So the Bible makes a distinction between what's true wealth and what's not. Um, so basically it's talking about our money, right? So our money here in this case is the, is the unrighteous wealth that's being talked about. And what, what we have here is the manager, though. The manager, what he did is he used the owner's money, the master's money, to win friends for himself so that he would have a place to go. He used his master's money um, and invested it for his own benefit. But, but, but what this is saying, right, as, so that we can have folks in eternity, which is the life after, which is life forever with him, Right. So there's a kingdom aspect. So so we shouldn't invest our money solely just for our own benefit. We should invest our money for the benefit of the kingdom. And we know the benefit of the kingdom because we see the things that God cares about. We see through Jesus and his life the things that he cared about. Jesus said, what you have done to the least of these, you have also done to me. So Jesus cares about those that are at the margins. He cares about those that are, that are forgotten about. He cares about those that are, that are pushed aside. And so when it comes to investing in the kingdom, it's, man, it's all about investing in the hurting, the needy, those that are oppressed. Because those are the folks we see Jesus engaging with in his life. And so we should leverage our wealth, our cash, to care for those folks and also to support efforts to advance the kingdom. So the question is this. Well, here's the expectation. In putting all it together, right, the, the expectation and how do we direct our efforts, we put it all together. It says God expects you to be faithful, which is doing all that you can and leveraging your money to care for the hurting, the needy, and oppressed, or to support efforts that are advancing the kingdom. So the question is, are, are, are you doing that? Are you using your money to, to advance the kingdom, to care for the hurting and the needy and the oppressed? And remember, see, see, Jesus paints this picture with this parable, right? Because the man was faithful, but he was faithful towards himself. He, he did all this, has this elaborate plan to secure his future. But Jesus is saying that if my children live in light of what's to come, it is coming. That, that them standing before God to give an account, they would at least have the energy that the man in the parable had towards their eternal future. So, are you doing all you can to leverage your money? to care for the hurting, the needy, and the oppressed, or to support efforts that advance the kingdom, right? Efforts that, that are advancing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. So that when it fails, meaning your money, meaning your unrighteous wealth, when it fails, and it will fail, at one point you're going to die and all the money that you've saved, it'll be gone. It'll be left to someone else. At one point you may realize, like, oh, man, all the things that I'm using to uh, uh, all the things I'm using my money to acquire, all the things that, that, that I can experience because of my money, one day you will understand and realize that, oh, this is actually leaving me empty. This is actually leaving me unsatisfied and disappointed. This is actually not doing the trick. Once you've figured out that it will fail because it will fail, 
But if you've made a kingdom investment, you will be welcomed into the next life by all of the beneficiaries of your investment into the kingdom of God. And then as a result of your faithfulness, with your unrighteous wealth, you will be entrusted with true riches then at that point. Riches that will not fail. And then some will say, you know, I don't, I don't give a lot because I don't have a lot. If I had more, I'd give more. And, then, and Jesus has something for that as well. Look in verse 10, it says, one who is faithful in the very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in the very little is also dishonest in much. Basically saying that it's not about how much you have. You are who you are. It's about your priorities. It's about your character. So if, if you had a lot of money or little, you would do the same thing with it. So if you had, if you had, uh, if you're stingy now, if you're stingy and you're selfish with your money right now, you get a lot of money, guess what you're going to be? Stingy and selfish. If you, if you manage your money in a way now to where you've incurred a lot of debt, if you had, a, if you had more money, guess what? You, you, would, you would incur more debt. Our, our, our character is what dictates our generosity. It's not about, it's not about uh, anything else, and it's about if our heart is truly towards heaven or if it's somewhere else. But I submit to you today that, that Jesus, money, he's talking about money here, but he's not just talking about money. Because if, if you read in verse 14, you see that the, the Pharisees were listening, and he said the Pharisees were, were lovers of money, right? Jesus was, was masterful at, at kind of like uh, uh, identifying the idols that people had. But, but he's really talking about everything that he's entrusted to us. Because we are not masters, we are servants. Nothing that we have or possess is our own. It belongs to God. We are to be stewards of what God has given us. So when I think about that. When I think about like all that God's given us, right, there's two categories that come to mind for me where right? I think about uh, our resources and, and people. Um, resources being those things that are time, right, the, the Lord's given us all the same amount of time um, to do what we will with it, right? He's all given us uh, uh, talents and gifts um, that we would use and steward. There's also treasure, our money, and our possessions, and then he's also given us a level of power and influence, right? All these things, these are things that are not our own, but the Lord has given us those things. And so the question then is, are you doing all that you can to leverage not just your money, but all of your resources uh, to care for the hurting, the needy, and the oppressed and to support kingdom efforts? And then you have people, right? The Lord has given us certain people. Uh, I'm blessed my father is gone, but my mom is, is still here. Um, the Lord's given me an amazing wife. Then I have a daughter, um, two soon, by the grace of God, right? Then there's other family that we have, and there's, there's, uh, there's friends. And then there's people that you, that you encounter all the time, maybe as, as you work and have conversations with. There's your, there's your neighbor. And so the Lord says that, that we are to love people as we love ourselves and also as Christ has loved us. That's what his desire is. And so the question is, have you been faithful in doing all you can to love those people, right? Parents, spouse, kids, family, friends, neighbors. Have you done all that you can? And then some of us, as you think about these people, as you think about your resources, you may, you may begin to think about like, man, like, ah, as I think about what that would cost me, like, 
as you as you let it settle into your spirit what it really means to do all that you can. You may begin to think about like, oh man, but that would be really hard. That is really hard for me to do that, for me to think about doing that, whether it's with my finances, my resources, or with the people that are in my life. To, to do all I can, to extend myself in that way is really challenging. And I, I don't know exactly what that story is for you, but I can just only imagine with what I face, right? I can imagine how hard it is, and, and I would imagine that it's really hard for you to think about doing that and, and doing all you can in those areas. But what I would also say is that your faithfulness is a manifestation of your faith. So what your faith says is that, man, what I'm perceiving in the natural, man, that, that this is hard and this is challenging, right? That's all that I can perceive. That's all that I can take in. And this is how I'm experiencing this in the moment. But, but I'm going to move forward because I'm confident about what the Lord has promised me and that that will come to pass. So despite me perceiving that this is challenging or this is hard, I'm going to move forward because I know the Lord's going to do what he said he's going to do. And so I think about verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where it says, the point is the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. So that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in good work. So yes, this is hard. Yes, this is challenging. But I'm believing by faith that through my generosity in all those areas that I will be blessed. And that I will have more than enough. So for example, um, Man, and talking about my own journey and doing all that I can of being faithful, we just finished up the following Jesus Haven, which was on Monday nights. Um, and so, so, uh, so then there's been a challenge for me then to be faithful in that. Because the reality is Mondays are hard. You finish a, a Sunday that's, that's very intense. And so Mondays just never are my best days of the week. But then you add on the fact that, that I'm teaching a Haven every Monday night for five weeks. So it's really hard. It's really challenging. Um, because I'm already not doing well, right? But I know the Lord has called me to be faithful. So I continue to push forward because I know that there will be a blessing as a result of my generosity. And so I push forward. And so we just had our last one this past Monday. And we, and we, and we, yeah, it's great. And, uh, and you begin to hear the stories of what the Lord was doing. Begin to hear the ways that the Lord has revealed some amazing things to people. You, you, you see how people are beginning to push past some things that they weren't able to push past through before. And then so for me to, to play a small role in that, can I just say that it blessed me? It blessed me in a way that I can't necessarily even describe in the words, the fact that, oh man, I'm seeing kingdom eternal impact being made right now in my midst. Oh, I'm so I'm so blessed by it. I also think about this next verse in, in John chapter, tw- chapter 12, verse 24. It says, truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it, die, if it dies, it bears much fruit. So I think about the fact that Jesus, that Jesus had to die in order for us to live. And I think about the people in my life, and the reality is that that in order for the people in my life to thrive, 
there's an aspect of me that needs to die. And what I'm believing is that, that in, in me dying, that there will be fruit that will be bared in the lives of other people. So when it's hard, what I'm believing by faith is there's fruit on the other side. And so I have a mom, um, and she's retired, and she's aging, and it gives me great joy that my mom can rest knowing that she has three boys that's going to take care of her as she gets older. It gives me great joy to witness my wife and my daughter thrive, be at their best. As I get to impart to them the goodness of God and and create a household to where we serve the Lord, that gives me great joy. And that joy far outweighs any joy that I could have produced in and of myself. It, it, It far outweighs anything that I could have made happen on my own, any level of blessing. And so it's an extension of our faithfulness. And so what we have to come to terms with is there is going to be a day where the facade, the veneer, the shadow of of what we want to project to people that's different than what's on the inside, there's going to be a day where that goes away, where it will be revealed. Who you really are will be shown. There's going to be a day where what your heart truly longs for, the things that you're truly chasing, It'll be revealed. The thing that, that is your master, the thing that you're enslaved to, it, it, it will be revealed. And we will stand before God naked and give an account for how we have stewarded what God has given us. But here's a question. So as will you be forfeiting spiritual and eternal blessings as a result of your unfaithfulness? Or will you find true riches? Riches that won't fail you for eternity. We have to consider on which side will we be. And that has implications in our life today. Would you stand as we get ready to go? So basically, here's the thing. Um, um, this place is not our home. This world is not our home. We are not to get too attached to this, to this place. And so we should live our lives in light of our destination, in light of where we will be for eternity. So with that in mind, what are the areas where you need to be more faithful? What are the areas that the Lord is even bringing to you right now where you say like, oh man, I know that right here, I'm not doing all that I can. I know there's room for me to be more faithful. I was having a conversation with a guy and he was sharing with me the challenges in his marriage. And, and uh, I mean, he's just getting to the point where it's like, man, I, there's nothing, I, I'm throwing my hands in. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. And so we had a conversation. And, and at the end of it, what he realized though, he realized like, you know what? I'm not doing all I can. I'm not being faithful. I'm not leading the way that I know I should. And I'm like, Doc, if you still got something left on the table, you got to go and do all you can and be faithful in your marriage. So what we should do is we should should carve out some time and take an inventory. This isn't isn't necessarily one of those sermons where you take the one nugget and apply to your week until next Sunday. No, what I'm saying is that this may require a total reorientation of your life. You should carve out some time. 
you should, you should uh, man, take inventory of your life and honestly consider the question, man, am I being faithful with these resources and with the people in my life? Am I doing all that I can? So you should consider that. And then you should, you should make a plan. Because the reality is you can't do it all at once, right? Like, like pick three areas and then create a plan for how you're going to be more faithful in those areas. Come back six months, a year from now. Man, how's it going? Make a new plan. So make a plan. I know for me and my family, uh, so I, I know that I can be more faithful in, in our finances, right? So, so we, we're, we're increasing our giving because we just believe that, that we, there's room for us to do all that we can, right? Whatever, what is that going to be for you? And then once you have that plan, you work that plan as if your eternal life depended on it. Let's pray. Lord, we, man, are just so blessed, Lord, that you would even entrust us with all that you've given us. Lord, you've given us so much. Lord, we're not even aware of how generous that you've been to us. But, Lord, I just pray that, that by the Holy Spirit that's inside of each of us, that we would become more aware man, of just the areas where we just haven't been faithful. Can we be more aware of the ways that, that there's more that we can do? And Lord, as we're confronted with the challenges of, of what that looks like, Lord, may we have our eyes fixed on eternity. Lord, may we have our eyes fixed in spiritual places. May we have our eyes fixed on the day where there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more sadness, and we will experience the fullness of joy in relationship with you. May that be our fuel. May that be our motivation, Lord, as we seek to be faithful in all that you've given us in this earth. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Uh, man, just be with us, God. We need you. Let's see us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Grace and peace. We'll see you guys here next week.